Hello, everyone. You're listening to Make Your Own Damn Podcast. I am Lucas Mangum, and with me is Jeff Burke. How's it going? Good, good. How are you? Doing good. We're on movie number four of our Class of Newcomb High marathon. Well, I guess the first part of our marathon we had, like, separated by a few few months. months. I'm I'm not sure how long ago we did that. (laughs) That's all right. But we, uh, yeah, we picked up at number two, uh, and then we just decided to keep going. We may as well. Yeah. Yeah, so where does that leave us? Where are we at? uh, So we're now at 2013's Return to Newcomb High Volume 1. Hell yeah. Which, as you'll notice, is quite a big of a time jump there between um, Newcomb High 3 and what is essentially here, Newcomb High 4. Um, Quite a big time jump. About, what, like 20 years? Um, Yeah, almost exactly. Almost exactly 20 years, because it was uh, 94 was um, Newcomb 3. Yes, 94. Yep. Yep. Cool. All right. So what um, what is what does Troma say about Return of Newcomb High Volume 1? Well, on their website, they actually, if you click on Return to Newcomb High on their website, it redirects you to a press website that they set up for both Return to Newcomb High Volume 1 and 2. Uh, and funny enough, they don't actually have a really good description on their dedicated website. All right. It's, I'm going to. It's very much a press thing. I'm checking trauma now. And so I, though, have the Blu-ray in my hands, and it has a pretty good description on the back of the Blu-ray, so I figured I'd read that. All right, yeah, let's do that. All right. Welcome back to Chomaville, New Jersey, where the nuclear power plant has now been bulldozed to make way for an organic foods company. But when the company's contaminated product is sold to a nearby high school lunch program, will the biggest nerds in the student body be transformed into goo-spewing mutants? Uh, I'm sorry, goo-spewing punk mutants? Prepare yourself for this hilarious, horrific assault of fat guys, new girls, toxic tacos, teen lesbians, school shootings, rogue bloggers... (laughs) marauding cretins, gratuitous nudity, duck dancing, and so much more in this all-new Trome masterpiece. I uh, I do not remember any duck dancing in that movie. I do remember something else that happens with the duck in that movie, though. Yeah, the duck... There is a duck in the movie. I don't... I think it kind of... I think it might dance in the second part. So, oh, okay. I was going to say, is the dancing a, a euphemism for what is done with that duck? I don't think so. Okay. All right. But, um, so this Cause, is... Because trauma doesn't usually uh, use euphemisms. No, no, they very rarely do. <laughs> very rarely. They like to be very much in your face about what exactly it is that they're doing. Yeah. Such as this has as a selling point, gratuitous nudity is yeah. one of the things listed. Which, if you think there's a lot of nudity in this, wait till you get to part two. Alrighty, because there there was quite a few, quite a bit in this one. Um, yes, there is. It was it was lovely. It was like uh, it was like Skinamax worthy. I mean, you know. <laughs> Though still not as bad as Tales from the Crapper. Which... <laughs> right, right. 
And I was like, oh shit, I think I just made Lucas and I watch porn this week. <laughs> a very a very weird one with um with like fart noises every time somebody bends over. <laughs> oh, that was a that, that movie's gonna stick with us for a very long time to come. Forever. Uh, but we're not here to uh, l- lament our past wounds. We are here not to talk here to about crap another movie. Uh, yeah, we're not here to crap on Tales from the Crapper. We did that already. <laughs> yes. Um, so, Return to Newcomb High, Volume 1. You had never seen this before, correct? I had never seen it before. I, um, I, so, I, I don't know why I hadn't seen it before, because I actually met, like, sort of met Lloyd Kaufman around the time this movie came out. Like, um, he was in a movie that I'm in, um, called Apocalypse Kiss, um, that like came out around the same time or was being made around the same time. Um, and he plays the president of the United States in that movie. Um, and, uh, he actually came to the premiere that we did in this small, like Bucks County, Pennsylvania town. Um, this small theater in, in, in a, in a town called Newtown. That's not too far away from, uh, New York city. Yeah, but it was it was it was even cooler than that. Like he like came and he presented the movie and he also showed the documentary the behind the scenes documentary that he shot for for us. Like just like Oh cool. Yeah, just made like a behind the scenes documentary like about this movie that he was in. Um and uh yeah, and he was and yeah, we, we showed the or a you know, um the trailer for uh, for New- for Return of Newcomb High Volume One show uh, like played before before our movie, so I, I don't know how I missed it, but uh, so when he was uh, like making a behind the scenes documentary f- for uh, the movie All We're In Together, was he like walking around with the camera facing him, just like talking to himself constantly? Because <laughs> I brought this up before on this show on the behind the scenes stuff that he is behind the scenes shit going back decades, which means he was, like, walking around with one of those giant cameras yeah. facing him, just, like, talking to himself. And I'm always wondering, like, that has to look a little ridiculous. So, um, I... He and I did not uh, share shooting days, so I, did, oh. I was... I, w- I did not cross paths with him until the actual premiere. But, um, from the way the documentary was shot, I'm assuming... I don't think... He, was, he didn't really do a lot of, uh selfies with the you know with the uh with the camera it was mostly like but he was it did seem as though he was carrying a camera around quite a bit and uh you know and and interviewing people and and stuff like that it must be hard to tell if like like has Lake kaufman finally lost it or is he just making another behind the scenes documentary yeah <laughs> totally but uh yeah no so that's like yeah. my cool lloyd kaufman story i guess so yeah, I first saw I first saw this right when it came out that uh, Troma did a like tour of this movie it was how it was initially released. They did like a screening tour, uh, and Lloyd Kaufman was present at all the screenings. And they did a screening in Portland, uh, where mm-hmm. I live, and I went to that. It happened at the uh, fantastic um, Hollywood Theater which is also where they have the annual H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival. Shout out to that Film Fest. Cool. Um, and I've seen lots of cool events at that um, 
at that theater, and Lloyd Kaufman and Pat Kaufman were there, and um, I uh, I got Lloyd Kaufman did a Q and A at the end, and I asked him a question, and I've been trying so hard to remember what I asked Lloyd Kaufman, but <laughs> all I remember is Pat Kaufman after it after the screening told me of like, wow, you asked a really good, smart question. And I was like, oh, thank you. And I don't remember what I asked. <laughs> That's awesome. I know it had something to do with like independent artwork, like making independent art. Like it wasn't anything of like, oh, what's the behind the scenes story? It had some, something to do with like technology and like yeah. independent artists. And I have no idea what I asked him. No. <laughs> and so this was, this would have been in, 2013 so like that was uh eight years ago so i think it's all right if i don't remember a question i asked during the q and a i i think uh i think lloyd will forgive you (laughs) yes but i i I was like uh amongst the first people in the u.s to see uh return to newcomb high on that tour and it was super it was super fun and i really loved it when I first saw it, and I've seen it several times. You know, since. I, I wonder if that's why I didn't I, I didn't see it until um until this week because like it you know it did the tour and then I don't know like I feel like I feel like the way the way things are released now like like how how quickly like we move onto on to the next thing, you know, like, I think, like, I don't know, like, it was like, oh, this thing's touring, it's going to be out, but, like, then, like, I, I don't know, I'm not, it was actually, like, a year after, uh, they did the tour, it was, like, a year after that, like, anyone could actually see it, yeah, so there was, like, a big period of time where I, oh, I feel like it got, it got like forgotten during that. Yeah. Time. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah, exactly. Exactly that. And it was also the year I moved to, I ended up, mo- I moved to Austin. So I think I just had a lot of, a lot of shit, a lot of shit going on. And unlike a lot of trauma movies, this one to the best of my knowledge was never available, uh, streaming, like anywhere like you it was like never yeah. on youtube it was never on amazon prime it was never on um um netflix and most of the right. trauma catalog has appeared at some point on those three places and return to newcomb high to the best of my knowledge has never been on any of those so i bet yeah there's like right now to stream it the only place you can like really stream it like you can rent it from amazon you can rent it from a bunch of places right but uh trauma now uh who doesn't sponsor us yet yet um trauma now has it available for streaming which is how i assume you that is that is exactly how i watched it yes (laughs) so for rewatching this i uh you know i have it on blu-ray and holy shit is the blu-ray uh phenomenal quality it's like the best looking trauma related movie i have seen in you know all these watching and re-watching that we've been doing as part of this show like the blu-ray like i've had some critiques about some of the other trauma releases in some previous episodes rabid grannies (laughs) yeah that was that was was what was going through my head but uh this release looks just fucking great yeah um 
I, I don't know if it's the same version that's on Trauma now, but um yeah. It's I, probably the same version, but I don't know if it's the same level of like. That's what I mean. Like fidelity yeah. quality. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. That. Thank you for clarifying that. Um, yeah. For me. Yeah. That was that was something that jumped out at me too. Like I was like, this is like, in terms of the visual quality of 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 the of the picture and the film and every, everything like that um probably the best looking trauma movie i've i've ever seen and there's a really good reason for that um which i was unaware of until um i listened to the uh uh Lloyd kaufman's commentary on the movie uh for this week um most of the behind the scenes crew like the actual like sound and camera crew was actually Hollywood people that they hired. They spent their money on the crew. Most of the cast either did it for free or did it for very low amounts of money. And, you know, they had lots of volunteers like they normally do, uh, but they actually paid money for their crew. And it shows. Um, Yeah. The cinematographer on this movie uh, worked on the Crank films. Oh shit! Yeah. Oh, and okay. That, that also, explains. Yeah, that that's that that definitely. Yeah, that explains a lot. <laughs> and weirdly enough, he was a camera operator on uh, 99 episodes of the TV show Superstore. Hmm. But not Law and Order SVU, though. Not Law and Order. Okay, <laughs> I'm gonna get that other. I'm gonna get that out right now. Um. So anyone that listens to this show. Uh, has been following us knows that I am like becoming mildly obsessed with finding connections between trauma and Law and Order SVU, due to all the bizarre connections I've been finding, uh, finding about it. Um, but I couldn't find a single connection with this movie. There are so many people who worked on this movie, and I was fucking digging through IMDb. And maybe I missed one. I mean, like, there's a lot of people. There's a lot of credits to go through. Maybe I missed one, but I could not find a single connection to Law and Order <laughs> SVU. And because, like, I was getting, like, I'm going to find a connection, and I'm just going to wait to the end of the episode. And I'd be like, oh, look, so you know, this person, they actually did something really interesting. Can you guess what? And you're going to be like, no, Jeff, I don't know what. I'd be like, they worked on SVU. It's going to be a mind-blowing moment, and now that's not going to happen. Yep. God that is that is a true shame because I, I look forward to those big reveals every week. <laughs> Though I did find a connection to the Crank movies, which I'm like, hey. That's which, cool. That's I adore cool. the crank movies, and that 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 kind of explains why he gave a uh, he gave a shout out to uh, to that to uh, those those movies in that in that interview that I shared with you. The director of uh, one of the because uh, crank movies are uh, co-directed by two guys. Yeah. Um, one of the directors is the guy driving the Kabuki Man car that flips in this movie. That's, <laughs> That's one great. of the directors of Crank. So apparently, um, and I was, uh, was listening to a uh, podcast interview with Lloyd Kaufman, and he brings up apparently uh, the Crank directors are like huge trauma fans, and the one guy just wanted to be in a trauma movie, and so he's the guy driving the car that you know does the flip that's in like I love that so many trauma movies. Every, everything since Tromeo and Juliet, correct? 
Uh, well, I guess we could say since Sergeant Kabuki Man, since that's where the oh, that's right, that's right, car yeah, flip yeah. is from. Yeah, and it's been worked in the so many of the movies. I still think the best use of it though is in Poultry Geist. Yes, that's because that's how the movie ends. Yes, that's the yes. very end of the movie that they do the car flip, and then the Poultry Geist theme song kicks in, and it's uh-huh. like, yeah, this it's is why I this is why so I watch Truma. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, what was your like first impressions of this movie since you had not uh, seen this before? This is your first viewing. Yeah, it was an odd watch for me because like, so we watched Class of Newcomb High two, yeah, uh, fairly recently, and it, um, it felt very of a time, you know, nineteen ninety one uh, when it came out, and so it you know kind of got me nostalgic for that era. Um, of, of filmmaking and then um uh you know a uh, couple months back we watched paltry geist which got which brought back all these like you know memories of the the early aughts um and this one was weird because it came out in 2013 and like i still remember that time period very very vividly so like i don't um you know i don't harbor i don't have like nostalgia for it or anything like that um i kind of do we were so naive in there we had no idea where things were gonna go in just a few years yeah and maybe that's it maybe maybe that's it maybe it is that i do have nostalgia for it and i'm like and like Wow, this episode is gonna get dark, dude. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, like ignoring all the like the things in our personal lives that maybe have gotten better since then, but just think about the general world. Wouldn't you like to be back in those naive days of like 2013? Like, yeah. we like social media was still cool then. Um, yes. <laughs> like politics hadn't gone insane. There wasn't a worldwide pandemic. Like, yeah. All, yeah. all these all these things. We didn't know how good we had it. No, definitely. Um, I mean, it was a good time in my personal life, too, though. I mean, like, it was... Same with me, yeah. Yeah, like, I had just gotten married, you know. Um, you know, I was starting to adult, you know. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean... It was just an odd watch for me because it felt very, like, I don't know. Like, it, as insane as this movie is, like, it felt like um, a snapshot of a time when things still made sense. <laughs> <laughs> it does feel very 2010s, like, like yes. early 2010s. It does have that uh, uh, feel a lot. Yeah. Um, that said, I did enjoy it. Um, I was, there were a few things that jumped out at me, like, that I, that I thought were odd choices, but not necessarily bad choices. Like, the, um, I guess the, uh, I wouldn't call this the inciting incident, but, uh, when the Cretans first show up, it's, like, halfway through the movie. Yeah. It's, it's a chunk of the way into the movie. Yeah, so, you know, it took a while for that to happen. Don't get me wrong, it's still entertaining until that happens. Like, it, there's, like, a lot of great jokes and, like, 
there's um I don't know, like it definitely has a cool vibe. Um and the effects in this were just like so good. Like oh, just the, the, I love the effects in this movie. Yeah. Like um Correct me if I'm wrong, isn't the opening scene of the movie the um, couple having sex and getting, like, nuclear waste on them and them melting, complete with, like, the guy's penis coming off in her hand, and it's, everything is gorily shown. Yeah. Like, we see her, we see her tits melt, and, like, that was, that was a fucking awesome sequence, and that's how it opens. It's an incredible uh, opening scene. I, yeah, and, um... Like, that's a big difference we can get into, like, right away here, that a lot of the gore effects in this movie are way grislier than, like, what we're used to seeing in trauma movies. That it's, like, the gore is, like, very gory. It's very, like, painful looking. It's very bloody. It's more, yeah, it's more, um, I would say more, uh, like, horror you know, than, um, uh, you know, than the, uh, more cartoonish kind of stuff that we normally see. Yeah. Which, oh, yeah. It's still, you know, don't get me wrong. It's like the gore in trauma movies is usually pretty gnarly, but there's like kind of a cartoonish component to it where there, there wasn't that here, at least not, at least not at first. It kind of gets a little crazy towards the end <laughs> yeah. uh, when the when the mutations start happening. Um, but yeah, the uh, it was very the gore felt very like realistic. You can see a little bit of the influence of like the torture porn is like on its way down if it's not already dead by this time. Yeah, and you, and Lloyd Kaufman's always citing uh, torture porn directors, so I'm sure he likes torture porn, and um, yeah. you can, I feel like the gore in this is in some ways influenced by the torture porn fra- um, torture porn um, uh, craze. Yeah, and um, you know, unless uh, you know, I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, I'm assuming this is not true, but. And the off chance that you're that you're living under a rock, like torture porn is not a um, is not a pejorative. This is the actual. Um, it is a term of endearment for a, a subgenre of horror. Well, it film. started it started off as a pejorative, and then it's just been embraced by horror fans of being like, yeah, that's what we call that. Um, yeah, oh, yeah, that's totally that, what it is. That yeah. was torture porn. Yeah, yeah, we like that. We like yeah. that descriptor. <laughs> it was it was some uh, fucking film critic with their head up their ass that tried using that as an insult and then the entire horror scene's like yeah yeah no let's call it that that makes sense let's call it that (laughs) (laughs) yes then you have people like me that's like i miss torture porn yeah here's a here's a deep poll do you remember that before the term torture porn was used they called it uh they called them gornos Oh, I do remember that. Yeah. yeah. I never liked Gorno. I never it's, did it's, either. It's awkward. I never did either. Torture porn just, it rolls off the tongue a lot better. Yeah. And it's, 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 I think it's a much better descriptor for what you're going to get. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess in some ways, I haven't really thought about it too heavily, but I guess in some ways, this is almost like Lloyd Kaufman 
doing a little hand at torture porn in some of the sequences in this movie. Yeah, I mean, at least in terms of the gore effects, um, like, there wasn't, you know, I wouldn't say there's really any torture in this movie, but... Um, yeah, but there's a lot of torture porn movies that don't have quote-unquote torture right, in it. Right. It's just like that, that dark, nihilistic, gore, slick filmmaking. Yes, that. yes. That, ah, slick. That is, that is the descriptor I would, I would use to describe uh, torture porn films and this film. Like, yeah. I would say this is, and that was probably the term I was looking for earlier when I was saying this is like the best looking trauma movie we've covered. I think uh, what I meant is this is the slickest. This now we haven't seen Shakespeare shitstorm yet. Neither one of us has. Right. Um, uh, I this might be like the best looking Lloyd Kaufman movie, at least of all of them that I've seen, and I've seen them all other than Shakespeare shitstorm and a couple of the very early films. And I'm sure the early films don't look as good as this. <laughs> so I think it's like Shakespeare shitstorm may look amazing. I don't know that, but of everything yeah. else, this is easily the best looking Lloyd Kaufman movie. Like it looks really good. Yeah. And um, so, and, what are, what are some other thoughts that you have about it? Well, so I, um, there were, um, sorry, I, <laughs> I might need to edit that. Um, I'm like spaced for a minute. Um, I thought the, um, I don't know. I uh, I definitely see why it was split into two movies because it would have been like way too long. But it also felt I don't know. It it also felt like half a movie in a way. Like yeah, I I know what you mean. Because like I mentioned, like the Cretans show up halfway through, and then there's the big set piece at the house party. And then it's over. Yeah, now, uh, to address this here real quick for anyone that hasn't seen it, when, we, when this movie is advertised as Volume 1 and the sequel is advertised as Volume 2, they are literally, this is literally the first half of the story. And the yeah. second one, you haven't seen it yet, Lucas, and that's what we'll be covering next week. But the second one picks up immediately where this one ends, on literally the same scene. It's... Uh, it's literally the Kill Bill thing. Yes, which uh, I, I was finding online here, but I can't really find um, confirmation of it. But um, the, the inspiration for this being done in two parts may have come directly from Quentin Tarantino himself. Yeah, it says that on the Troma wiki. I don't yeah. know where they got that from though. Well, I so love I on the Troma Wiki in pure Troma fashion. They have those little numbers behind it where you can click on the sources, but there's no sources on that page. I'm not sure if you notice that. <laughs> that's incredible. I didn't and it's notice like, that. It's like great, thanks, thanks. But I mean, that's this. not. I don't. I don't find that unbelievable in any way. I mean, like, I mean, because Tarantino is a. He's a Troma fan, like. And he's like we've talked about earlier in um. Was all the love you can cans when um, 
when uh, Lloyd Kaufman runs into Quentin Tarantino, and Tarantino is like visibly excited like, to marking see him. out. Yeah, like uh, and yeah, I mean, yeah, he's like clearly like a fan. Um, so what surprised me that Lloyd Kaufman was mentioning something of like, oh, I have this script I really like, but it's way too long, or we're not sure what to do. Blah 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 yeah. blah. Tarantino being like, do do like me, breaking the two movies. Yeah. And the for the record, like uh, both volumes of this were filmed at the same time, even though there's years difference in when they were released. They were filmed over the same 30 day period. And oh, okay. what, and then what they did and uh, I'm, like, I'm sure once they figured this out, this was one of the motivating factors is they were able to use the first movie, um, release it and get additional funding for the second movie, and that way they could film more special effects, film more set pieces, but they already had filmed, like, all the main actors interacting with each other. Cool. And then, then they, like, bring people back as they get more money to film additional sequences and to do, like, big effects shots and things like that. Yeah. Okay, um... I love. I, oh, here's something I wanted to ask you. Um, did uh, revisiting parts two and three um, lead to a a different appreciation of this of this movie? Oh, see, that was something I was really interested about revisiting this one as well. Was like, oh, did like now that I've finally seen two and three, and like they're really fresh in my head. Uh, like, is there stuff that I missed in Return to Newcomb High that I didn't get? because of sequels and the answer is no <laughs> yeah yeah outside of one brief scene that we do have um brick bronsky uh yeah. re replays his uh role of um oh god damn it i'm trying to find in the dick uh, smith dick smith thank the, you uh, evil and, twin from uh from number three and lisa lisa gay uh yep. replays it replay praises her role of the um professor holt thank you yeah. but they're only in it for like blink and you'll miss it cameo yeah yeah um as a as a henchman i guess yes which yeah they're is surprising because they're not in volume two correct no um oh uh no they're not in volume two yeah they're just in this one Hmm. I do believe that uh, it was great to see them though you know it made me, oh, yeah. it made me laugh I, made me, I, I smiled <laughs> especially since we've been like fanboying out over Brick Bronski I was like hey there he is Yeah. and it's yeah. like oh you're 20 years older but it's you <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> makes me terrified of how I'm going to look in 20 years I know I know I'm just like <laughs> Man, I look at I look at pictures of me from like four years ago, and I'm like, "What the hell happened?" <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Now I'm just like, man, if we could like start looking at convention pictures of all of us from like a decade ago, oh, that yeah. might cause some existential terror for a few of us in our scene. Yeah, I am. Yeah, I'm sure, man. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But no, but it was cool that they like popped up. And had, like, a brief cameo. And, like, there were some other people brought back from the other Newcomb High movies. Um, the leader of the Cretans uh, uh, plays 
the leader of the Cretans from the very first movie plays the cop in this movie that asks like the question of like what's wrong with kids these days? Oh my god, that's right. Yeah. That's a, that, that guy's actually the leader of the Cretans from the very first movie. I thought I recognized the cop from somewhere too, and How I was cool like, is that? Yeah, that is cool because he's yeah, and he's and also, also uh, slug, one of the uh, bullies, uh, bully slash villains in uh, the original Toxic Avenger. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, and I just think it's like a cool meta joke to turn to have the actor that plays the leader of the Cretans in the first movie play a cop in it's incredible. this one. Because yeah. like, listen to our past episodes and you'll know what Troma's opinion, opinions of the police are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. But, spoiler alert, Lloyd Kaufman doesn't like cops. <laughs> no, no he does not. Especially not on the uh, on the set of Terra Firmer. Yes, yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> even to see like Kaufman ranting about the fucking pigs, watch the behind the scenes documentary of Terra Firmer. Incredible. I just love I just love like Kaufman talking to his wife. Fucking pigs. <laughs> I know, I know. It's so funny. <laughs> that makes me happy. Yes. Um, which uh, I, and oh. One thing I'm curious about here is I was, like, looking up a bunch of interviews uh, that Lloyd Kaufman was doing to promote this movie, and uh, you have a great interview that I know you want to bring up at some point here on the uh, show. But um, that interview fell fell into a pattern I was seeing, and I'm wondering if you felt it in this movie at all, because I didn't. But on the press tour, Lloyd Kaufman seems fucking angry. Yes. And, and angry in ways that, like you know, Lloyd Kaufman's known for going off on his political rants, but he seemed way, way angrier on the press tour for this movie than how he normally presents himself. Yeah, I mean, he has he had a chip on his shoulder. I think you know. I yeah. Mean, I think. I mean, I guess. Man, like I'll just say it. Like I mean, if I after like you know forty years of doing this, doing this underground independent art thing and still being underground and independent i'm sure it comes with some frustrations to be honest <laughs> um, he seemed though pissed off in the press for this however this movie doesn't feel that angry to me no it doesn't it doesn't but i think sometimes uh you know when you're in that place mentally like you'll make like you'll make something that's more positive because you're aspiring for that. Did I lose you? I think we just, I think there was just a brief blip there. Um, oh, yeah, no, I was saying that, like, uh, I think sometimes when you're in that, like, angry place or that dark place, like, you'll make, you'll make art that's, like, more upbeat and positive because, like, you're, you're reaching for that. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's what's going on here. I could see that. I could see that. Um, as always, this movie very much is uh, very political. Yeah. Like, like we, we hinted at, like, the basic plot of this movie, what this all deals with, is once again, uh, greedy big businesses are causing environmental health problems. And in this case, it's um, uh, tainting the food supply, essentially. And yeah. and people are eating what's essentially poisoned food, and that's causing 
you know, mutations, which is what we now see is the overall theme of the class of Newcomb High series, which is big businesses being greedy, which causes mutations in the Chomaville populace. Yeah, um, and uh, he really had his finger on the pulse with this one, too, because, like, um, I mean, not that that's anything new, like, he, you know, like with, with Paltry Geist and, and you know... Um, Thematically, it reminded, um, yeah. reminded me a lot of Paltry Geist, since both are very explicitly about the food supply and explicitly about how big businesses are... Uh, yeah, but the, the reason I, I, I say that it specifically feels of a time, uh, uh, you know, and, and like, mm-hmm. he really... Uh, was catching lightning in a bottle was was because he has the villainous corporation in this one, be it an organic food oh, corporation, yeah. which was just kind of becoming the the chic thing at the time was like yes. you know like everything rebranding as as organic you know, <laughs> and, which in itself is a gigantic scam. Uh, my my mom is a diet uh, is a dietitian, and uh, that's been her career her whole life. And oh boy, she can go off on rants about the uh, organic food companies that a lot aren't really inspected. The big thing for it is just being able to pay money to get the appropriate like government endorsements, and there's yeah. very little done to monitor that and to stay on top of what the companies are claiming. And so, in all likelihood, the like the well, only difference. It's not between- a. It's, it, I mean, maybe it's maybe it, it is now, but it, it. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that's not a regulatable term, right? Or, no, or, it's not. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. really mean anything either. And yeah. there's like, and like, like people mean, like, oh, it doesn't use like artificial pesticides and things like that. It's like, well, there's actually ways around them claiming that and they can still get those endorsements. And also just because something is natural doesn't mean it's better for you than the unnatural thing. Cause like, however you want to define that, like, cause cancer is fucking natural. Awesome. Um, like, natural. Yes. Like, like these things aren't good for you. So it's, it's like, it's kind of a nebulous term. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I just thought that was clever. Uh, yeah, he, a lot of people use it as a social status. That too. That too. Yeah. Um, but you're yeah. right. That is a clever thing that he was kind of getting ahead of there. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So um, I thought that, that that really jumped out at me. Um, and then, yeah, like just like the... Uh, yeah, like I mean, just like his grand thesis of uh, of um, you know these greedy corporations kind of turning people into mutants. I mean, there's something there, man. Like, I mean, about like you know, uh, kind of um, the dehumanization that occurs. We see it every day now directly like on social media of those companies keep getting richer and they're profiting and they found the main thing that motivates us is anger and and now we have people actively turning on each other while mark zuckerberg continues to make more and more money um so like that's a very direct uh 
connection right there. But I think it's like a very big general point of that how these corporations function. They have no regard for the well-being of anyone that they're impacted by. And no. we know about Lloyd Kaufman's very anti-corporate, anti-big business um, political viewpoints. And, like, I agree with him on all that shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, these these people aren't your friends. I mean, we talked a lot off mic about it last week. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it's... It's... I Maybe that's why I felt so... Like... I don't know. Like, I, I, I watched... When I watched two... Like, I had, like, a really good feeling afterwards. And this was a good movie, but I didn't feel good afterwards, and I think that's why. I think it's because it, like, called this shit before it really was this shit, and, like, here we are, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, also, that anger that Kaufman was feeling during this time period, all, may, may, even though we're saying we don't really see it in the movie, it may have... Uh, you may have somehow, like, subconsciously, yeah, sub yeah, subliminally, like, picked up on it and just being like, Lloyd's, Uncle Lloyd's in a bad mood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't like, I don't like this. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. I, I can totally see that. Um, I do agree with you, though, a bit. Like, having now rewatched this movie several times over the years, it does meander a bit. I feel Volume 2, which we'll get to next week, is a bit tighter. And I don't know if two movies were fully necessary. We'll have to talk about that next week after you've seen part two. I'm very um, curious to see. Um, like, there's this definitely gets into parts where I'd say, like, the middle half of the movie is primarily a series of vignettes. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, like, a lot of the Cretan stuff is really just little scenes of the Cretans, you know, fucking with people. Which I, yeah, yeah. But it doesn't really, like, push anything forward. It doesn't really move the plot anywhere. Right, right. Those, those are some funny scenes, though. Oh, the Cretans are great in this. Yeah. I love the uh, Cretan in the wheelchair, that his wheelchair also transforms also mutates yeah yes and like you know i wrote a book called cripple wolf about a werewolf in a wheelchair loose on an airplane <laughs> and so I've, I've got a soft spot for you know villainous uh characters in wheelchairs because like how often do you fucking see that like almost never almost never yeah um, and, and it's like why can't they be villains yeah and this one yeah this one's pretty villainous for and sure. His, his wheelchair is real. Like, the way they uh, trick out his wheelchair is, like, pretty fucking awesome. It's, it's pretty it, great. It's, like, this armored wheelchair. Though, did you notice that uh, it's not motorized, that they still have to push him everywhere? Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, it's, I thought it was kind of a funny little, uh, it's a just funny a, little thing. It's just one of those little touches that makes it that much funnier, right? Like Yeah. Yeah, like, it could have been, like, you know, shuckle-worthy on its own, but, like, that, like, little extra touch is what kind of pushes it into the stratosphere, I think. The the Cretans are really good. I like their—this movie probably has my favorite design of the Cretans. 
Yeah, they look great. They look great. I, I, I've never really, and I talked about it in the class of Newcomb High, the first one, the first movies episode that we did. Uh, I, I like class of Newcomb High, the original, but I never liked the Cretan design because it always came across to me of, uh, especially considering it's an 80s movie, uh, trying to have punk rockers in the movie, but not, not understanding punk or punk fashion. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and then this, they're not really trying to be punks. They're just trying to be like, the, their design is just to make them look like freaks. They're Cretans. Yeah, they're Cretans. Yeah. So I thought it was really funny that I was looking at some behind-the-scenes uh, footage, and some of the people working on the uh, the crew and special effects and that were wearing leftover crack and crass T-shirts. And it's like, oh, you actually had people on this movie that knew exactly knows exactly what punk rock is and what exactly these like would look like. Oh, and ironically, there's there's not actually any like you know quote unquote punk designs in the movie. I just thought that was a little funny thing. It's like the people on the crew know exactly what to do. <laughs> That's great. I love that. But I th- I just thought that was just, and this is just me being you know a punk nerd. I was like, hey, left. I was watching some of the behind the scenes footage. Just like, hey, leftover crack, which is one of my very favorite bands. And the camera pans over, and the guy sitting next to him was like, hey, crass. Which is another one of my very favorite punk bands. Nice, nice. <laughs> it's like I would have had a good time hanging out with these people. Yes, I, 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 I could, I could see you uh, having a great time on the, uh, on the set of a trauma movie. I've, oh man, I've always wanted to like w- work on one, and I think I could handle being cho- chewed out by Lloyd Kaufman. I, I think I could take it. Yeah, I'm sure you could, because um, like you know the. Uh, you know, I, I mean, you you would see it as like, okay, he's just, you know, he's on set. He's going to act a certain way. You know? Yeah, we're, we're at work right now. We're at work. We're working. Yeah. <laughs> no, I get that. Uh, um, uh, uh, also, I have a lot of experience working events and all that sort of sh- shit, and I think I'd probably be a better worker than some of the people he gets. You know, uh, <laughs> That that was the thing that jumped out at me when you mentioned earlier about how we, how they actually hired a Hollywood yes. crew, because um, um, you know as we covered in um, Tales from the Crapper and Paltry Geist, like a lot of the crew stuff was kind of nightmarish. Yeah, you know, because but it's like we're and when we eventually discuss this and Toxie, we're gonna be talking about it nightmare film shoot once again yeah i mean in a lot of cases these were people that were working for free you know and Mm -hmm. they just wanted to and they just fucked off because they weren't getting paid so like yeah i mean i guess this time around like lloyd was like i'm i want to get what i pay for i guess you know and so and in this movie most of the people we're seeing like in front of the camera or like doing it for free, or people who uh, like worked on props are doing it for free, yeah. and it, it, it's those types of roles. Which, uh, like, they got a good uh, they got a good crew for this movie. Um, like, they got yeah. good, good cast. Uh, I, I enjoy all of the um, actors, actresses in this movie, though. Uh, I do think that's one of the weaker strikes, though, against this movie, that no one really stands out. Like I can see that. It, like in some of the other, especially Lloyd Kaufman movies. Like, it doesn't... Nobody, there's no, like, um, um, what's it, Artie from Poultry Guys, who... 
like steals the fucking movie. Uh, yeah. Brick Bronski, even though he has a cameo in this, he's not like a, a yeah. No, I get that. There's, they're just yeah. No, I I can see that for sure. Um, because yeah, they're just you know they're just teenagers. They're nor- they're supposed to be just like normal teenagers, and that is how they come across for the most part. Yeah. Um, Do you think so, that was intentional? I think it was. I think yeah. it was. Like, like Lloyd Kaufman's always hoping for his movies to break out into more mainstream attention. Now, he knows how absurd that is, <laughs> but he yeah. still is always trying. Like, uh, in... Uh, one of the uh, podcast interviews, actually a interview done by Chris Jericho. And I was like, oh, fuck, cool. I managed to bring fucking wrestling into this episode. Ah. <laughs> fuck. Yeah. Uh, but it's actually a really good, a really good interview. Um, I've never heard, I, I know Chris Jericho is a wrestler. I am correct in that, right? He's a wrestler, yes. right? Yes. Okay. Just making sure I was correct on that. He apparently has an interview podcast. I yeah. only listened to the episode he interviewed Lloyd Kaufman, which was in promo oh, for... He, he did yeah. an episode with uh, e- Eli Roth as well, so you should oh, check no, that shit. out. Yeah. I should. He's actually a really great interviewer. Um, anybody interested in hearing uh, Chris Jericho interview Lloyd Kaufman, it's a not a bad way to spend an hour and 15 minutes. It was about how long the interview was. Cool. But um, in it, one of the things Lloyd Kaufman talks... And boy, Lloyd Kaufman sounds pissed off in the interview that's one of the, that's like one of the things that spurred like my comment earlier is like like not pissed off at chris jericho just like pissed off at the fucking world and mm-hmm. he goes on these long long rants and yeah um uh, but uh one of the things he talks about in it is that he uh aspires to have every single one of every single new project he makes for that to be his breakout project like this is going to be the one that finally makes it big and of course it never happens <laughs> or not in the way that lloyd kaufman really wants it to i think though that that mentality actually like is why his stuff is so consistently good yeah like that attitude of like just like all right this one's going to be the good one, you know, the, you know, and just, I don't know. This is going to be the one where everyone that. finally recognizes that I'm a fucking genius and Hollywood is full of fucking shit. This is yeah. going to be the one that people finally re- realize it. And I mean, people, for people like us, we've known it for a very long time. Right. But, <laughs> but the general film going audience, I'm still like, you, you, you open your movie with a guy's penis melting off, uh, Lloyd, you, you gotta know that there's already like you've already set your own ceiling to how, yeah. how many people this movie's gonna speak to. Yeah. Um. And so, so this movie. Although he also- seems to think, I mean, I don't know. Like he seems to think it's um more than just the the content. Like I mean, the interview that I I was reading um. And I think I sent, yeah, and I sent it to you um, with a diabolical. Do you want to get into this interview? I do, man, because there's just a lot of stuff in it that I thought was just really good. I mean, and not all of it is about this movie, but it definitely, like, 
the trauma ethos is like really on full display here and i i just thought it was really cool well here why, why don't you uh share some of like what was some of the stuff that really stood out to you uh, so i want to find the thing um i want to find something that we were like kind of um because we were just talking about um he seems to think that um you know he he asserts that uh basically the um the reason his stuff doesn't and and stuff like it like a lot of you know like outsider um independent art like doesn't get um you know mainstream appeals because like the the marketplace is you know kind of you know uh is closed is what he says in um so Diabolic asks, uh, Troma was a cult entertainment stalwart in the 80s, and even today, Troma prides itself on do-it-yourself, independent aesthetic. Do you think Troma's specific brand of horror comedy hybrids flourish better through independent means? And he says, they can't flourish because the marketplace is closed. We're economically blacklisted. We can't get on TV or video stores or or movie theaters. How can we flourish? Um, and the... And the making of movies has been democratized. Return of Newcomb High cost, volume one, cost $500,000 to make, which is what the Toxic Avenger cost to make in 1983. If you Oof, count... That's rough. <laughs> yeah. Like 30 years difference, and you're still working with the same budget numbers despite inflation? Yeah. Like, that's fucking rough. Um, if you count inflation, we're probably making movies for 20% of what we used to make them for, so yep. filmmaking has become democratized in the same way that the automobile and the industry industry was democratized in the 50s. Um, you didn't have to be rich to buy a car so that everyone can own a car. Now you don't have to be rich to make a movie. Anyone can make a movie. In fact, everybody just about has made a movie. Um, and then, uh, but wait, I want to get into the good part. He's like, so the, okay, so I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. He says, so the yeah. problem is the making of cinema is democratized, but the distribution system is still lagging. Distribution has not caught up with the new technology, so the public is unaware of thousands of young movie makers. Uh, this is why we created Occupy Con, or Can, and wanted to educate the environment of the Can Film Festival to that effect. Um, yeah. Occupy Can comes up there. I have more things about Occupy Can later, which we've talked about both on our... Um, on the Love You Con episode and our crossover episode with Talking Trauma about this unreleased documentary. And I actually have more information about that documentary because yeah. of this movie. Uh, um, on the same uh, point, like about like yeah. uh, like uh, his type of movies just not getting the right ex exposure seems to be like what he, you know, uh, um, he, he brings up Cannibal the Musical. He's like, um, Oh, thank you. Know, you. I was, I was going to bring that up. Uh, the section where he talks about Cannibal the Musical, yeah, which I think a, makes an excellent point. Don't you think if it was shown on Comedy Central, it'd probably be their biggest, you know, like he said, their biggest rated show of the year. I, you know, I don't, I mean, that's, that might be hyperbolic, but I mean, he's yeah. saying that it would get like, you know, it would. Cannibal the Musical has never been aired on TV. Yeah, it would take very minimal editing to have it appropriate for a basic cable um, screening. Matt Stone and Trey Parker are fucking superstars, mm -hmm. and Cannibal the Musical has never been shown on any TV station. Like the only conclusion I feel you can come to that is they don't want yeah. to show it on purpose due to the trauma association. Yeah. 
because like you have these mega like people were desperate for Parker and Stone content for years, and Troma was just like, "Hey, we've got their movie. <laughs> like, do you yeah. want their move? Their only movie? Do you want to?" At the time, it? yeah, and um, nobody did. So, I guess my my question to you is. So this interview, I mean, it, it's mostly all about it. it mo- he basically stays on message, like pretty much no matter what Diabolik asks Lloyd, he kind of continues this yeah. kind of, uh, you know, this message and with the with the very same, you know, kind of attitude as well. Um, but it was this interview was at the time of Return of Newcomb High, Volume 1, and so it was being given to promote that movie. I, do you think this spirit and this attitude is embodied in that movie in any way? That's what I was trying to also bring up to you earlier about, like, when I was saying, like, he seems so angry in all the press I looked up for this. Yeah. Um, like, I mean, the spirit of it, definitely, because his point is... You know, uh, us everyday people are being crushed by major corporate conglomerates uh, that control the world. And, I mean, that's that's like literally part of the plot line of of this movie. And I do very much agree with his take over that for a lot – like, I agree that, like, trauma has essentially been blacklisted by the film industry and – I also think that's true for a lot of independent and outsider artists, regardless of how much mainstream attention they can they get. Yeah. Like one of the things I think is bizarre, this is directly related to it, is um, uh, Tom Six, who made the Human Centipede films, has mm-hmm. a completely finished movie, and he can't find. He has a new movie. It's called like um, the. The Oni Club or something like that. It's a um, obscure term for female masturbation, which I had never heard of before. Uh, before Tom Six made this movie, and there's a trailer for the movie, and according to Tom Six, it's completely finished. He can't find a distributor for it, which is actually bizarre to me. Human Centipede was covered by fucking CNN. He had yeah. CNN coverage, and he can't find a distributor for his new movie. Um, I have. One person removed connection to the um, the guy who made a uh, a Serbian film, and a Serbian film, which is one of the most notorious modern horror films. Period. Um, mm-hmm. I fucking love the movie. It's I know it's a very controversial movie. I fucking love a Serbian film. He can't get anything else made because no one will. Uh, no one will touch get, him. No one will touch him. He's essentially been blackballed from the film industry, just like Tom Six. And it's like, these guys got way bigger press and way more eyes. Like, I can't believe that nobody wants to snatch up their, like, next project and be like, from the director of the uh, the Human Centipede or the terrifying new vision that, from the mind that brought you a Serbian film. Like, yeah. th- like every horror fan's going to be like, well, I've got to, even if I didn't like their other movies, I've got to see what the fuck they did this time. Yeah. yeah I, like everyone will watch it, but no one will touch it, and it's it, it's almost a well, yeah, it, like because they it, also worked very much outside of the traditional film system, and 
it seems like that there's a lot of especially genre creators that like if you make too big of a name for yourself outside the system then the system's like we want nothing to fucking do with you ever right because they think that i you know uh oh, either that or marvel either that or marvel hires you no i was gonna say there's, like there's, there's one like there's nothing in between it's one of those two things so I was going to say wrongfully or not, like, I think, like, the system sees somebody who's successful outside the system and is like, okay, even if we did hire them, they're not going to want to, they're not going to want to play by the rules because they've got that proven track record, like, without us or whatever. Yeah. I, I think it's easier. I, I agree with you on that. I think it's probably a lot of the companies view it. It's easier for us to get our like stooge in that we know is going to do everything we tell them to do rather than take a chance on uh, this, you know, potential, you know, roll the dice. Like this guy could end up turning out to be fucking crazy. <laughs> like, yeah. But it's like, yeah, but that's how you get good and interesting movies. <laughs> it's true. Like Stanley um, Kubrick was fucking insane. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, for sure. Um, yeah. I mean, another. I guess this this example is older, but like he um, he mentions it in the interview, which is why I wanted to bring it up. But he talks about a movie called Killer Joe, which was directed by. Uh, I'm not familiar with that movie. At least I don't think I am. I, I'd heard of it, but I, I'd never, I'd never seen it for probably for the reasons that he outlines, you know, like he's, you know, um, but it was directed by William Friedkin who directed the exorcist. Yeah. And, but it just never got, you know, proper major distribution or anything like that. I was like, I hadn't even like heard of that movie. Um, it got slapped with an NC 17 because, you know, how MPAA can be, you know, um, fucking bullshit yeah yeah and so yeah <laughs> I, I i don't yeah i think he has like so, something there and i don't think uh lloyd kaufman's wrong and i also don't see it getting any better anytime soon and no. one of the examples i can give that like i uh fucking hate is oh here let's talk about one of my favorite movies uh uh, real quick, um, Dave Made a Maze. Yeah. I've been singing the fucking praises of Dave Made a Maze for years. I have written about it. It's like I've I've talked this movie up for fucking years. Now it gets added to Shudder, which I love Shudder. I don't mean to shit talk Shudder. I am going to shit talk though uh, people's media consumption habits. That mm. now suddenly I'm seeing all these people. Um, post people that are friends of mine that I've known closely and intimately for years being like, wow, I just saw Dave made a maze. This movie's amazing. How have I never seen this before? It's like, cause you haven't fucking listened to me. <laughs> <laughs> if you just listened to me, you already have been hip to all the cool fucking shit. But like, uh, and like, it's, it's almost a little better now, but not in the same way that now, like, there was a period of time that no one would watch anything unless it was on Netflix. Yeah, like, I remember that. Yeah, and something would get released on Netflix, and suddenly everyone would okay. be like, wow, this is so awesome. How to, did I never see this? And it's like, because you didn't fucking pay attention when it came out. To be fair, though, Netflix used to have a much better selection than it they does did. now. They yeah. did, and now, to be fair, things have expanded to 
um, people will watch it if it's on Netflix, if it's on Amazon Prime. If you're a horror fan, you have a Shutter subscription, and maybe Hulu. So now there's four options instead of one. But yeah. so those four that is dictating what everyone what everyone watches. Yeah, it's. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> and I don't see that getting any better. And even though Lloyd Kaufman's talking about this from years ago in that interview you pulled up, he's right he on the He could have given like, this interview this now. year. Like, yeah. And now all the streaming services don't want to pay for the licensing rights because every studio now realizes streaming's a thing. So the selections on all the streaming is actually getting worse and instead, they're producing their own content because it makes right. more sense for them to own it rather than for them to license something out, which then just has even more things like falling between the cracks and just not getting viewed by people. Yeah. Um, and, then, and then you'll see like when something comes out that Netflix wants to push, every single person on your social media thing is all watching – social media feed is all watching the same thing. Like yeah. we just saw recently at the time of this recording, everyone just got done watching Squid Game. and went Which I've out, heard is actually pretty good. I, I actually really liked it. I did yeah. like the last 15 minutes of it, but that's a me yeah. issue. And, I, I liked it up to that point. And when I say I've heard it's pretty good, like I, I like I, I wasn't referring to people in my Facebook feed all watching it. I was, I was talking to about uh, Jeff. Uh, who said it's good oh, okay. and, um, and uh, my friend and uh, J. David Osborne also said it's good uh, these yeah. are two people who I whose tastes I trust um, so uh, even though even though everybody else is talking about it on Facebook I will still probably watch it, <laughs> it it's good it's, it's definitely worth a watch I uh, uh, my partner and I like uh, marathoned it in like two three nights we watch uh, it's like nine episodes so it's not terribly long cool. we watch a couple episodes a night but um but like but then netflix push, pushes that and it's not like somebody and i see people being like oh maybe this will open up america's eyes to all the great stuff going on in korean cinema and i'm like no it's not i'm sorry <laughs> it's it's not it's just got this is like the thing That's... that the companies are pushing right now you know when somebody so says that like i i want to when somebody says that, I want to give them a hug because I'm like, oh, you're so, you're so naive. You're so cute. I love your optimism. <laughs> like Parasite winning uh, Best Picture. Um, I don't recall a single other uh, Korean movie getting like a mass release or mass attention since Parasite. I mean, do no. you? No, I don't. I mean, really the only other thing that's happened with like uh, Korean um visual media to take off in the u.s since parasite was squid game so we had one movie and one tv show and that was fucking it and if yeah. you're a horror if you're a super horror fan you've you've already all been turned on to uh train to busan but there's, all, yeah. there's lots of other great fucking uh 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 korean media out there and i've been watching like korean shit for decades and it's like oh it's nice for you all to finally catch up that there's like this part of the world's making good movies. Right. Um, um, but, but yeah, it's, it's still being like what everyone is watching, whether they're consciously aware of it or not is still being dictated by a couple of mass media companies. And now it's just shifted in the, who specifically those mass media companies are. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, because I mean, Shutter. As much as we love Shutter, uh, it it is uh, it is it is owned by AMC. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so make it that way you will. Yeah, it's it's still a big it's still a big media conglomerate. Like yeah. they're doing good things there, and they definitely know the audience that they're catering to. You know, people like Lucas and I, mm-hmm. and they're doing a good job at catering to people like us. I yes, they are. I will definitely say that, but it's still them like picking like because. Like I said, no one fucking would watch Dave Made a Maze until Shudder added it. Yeah, and then but then it then it gets really tricky, right? Because it's like if you don't have any curators, how do you find anything? Oh yeah, then then that gets like really difficult and like because it's like is it is this is this as as depressing as it is? Are these are these necessary evils? Like I don't know. I mean, in the way they are. Like, most people, the vast majority of media consumers are passive about it. And what I mean by that is, like, they they look at the options that they see in front of themselves, and they pick amongst those options, you know, what interests them the most. But they're not, like, actively seeking out, like, trailers for ah. the upcoming things at film festivals, or being like, oh, I really like that movie – uh, I'm going to look up the director and look up the writers and see what other projects they've worked on or what they have coming out. And um, like that's how I find out about right. a lot of shit. I, I also listen to, like, you know, podcasts not dissimilar to ours. And, like, there's people whose opinions I respect and, like, really uh, tied into the underground and foreign markets and hearing about stuff through them. But... Like, when I do, that's not the normal way a person consumes movies. Right. I mean, so, in a lot of ways it is on us, like, as, as, I don't even like using the word consumer, but, like, as But that's what it is. Yeah, it is what it is. But, like, uh, you know, um, to, uh, yeah, to really kind of make that effort to, like, if if we like something somebody does um, to, you know, seek out their other shit or seek out similar shit. Like I was, I've been thinking about this a lot, like um, with, um, with horror, like people like to, people in the horror scene love to be, uh, they love to be too cool for school and they like to rag on mainstream horror. And it's like, but a lot of that's going to be the gateway drugs for people to find the shit that we like, you know, (laughs) Oh, yeah, I mean, I like, mean uh, we were like, talking yeah, before but... we were recording here that we both just saw uh, Halloween Kills in the past week, and I don't know about you, but my social media feed was filled with people being too fucking cool and shit-talking yeah. Halloween Kills, and it's like, it's like the what, like 11th Halloween movie? What the fuck were you expecting? Like, <laughs> if you're just right? going to go into this just a rag on it, like, you're not offering anything new or insightful, you're just being... You're just being a contrarian asshole is all you're doing there. And, yeah. and for the record, my review of it was, it's fine. It's another Halloween movie. You already know if you'll like it or not. If you like Halloween movies, you're going to have a good time. Yep. If you don't like them, why the fuck would you bother watching the 11th? It's not going to change your fucking mind. Yeah, yeah. Um, just want to correct you. It is actually the 12th. I just did the it's math the in my 12th. head. It's the 12th. Oh, yeah. my God. Okay, so yeah. it's the 12th. Yeah. Come on. We're, we're at the 12th movie here. Like, you yes. already know what you're getting. Like... What are, you, what are you doing? And then also, like, I hate seeing, like, when people complain of, like, 
oh, everything's just remakes and sequels. Like, there's no new ideas. I'm like, there's plenty of new ideas. You're just not fucking watching them. You're not, you're not watching them. You, you, um, like to, you, you think you're making some intelligent argument when in reality you're just showing how media illiterate you are. Because yeah, like, there's thousands, there's hundreds of movies, thousands of movies that come out every year that are original ideas. You just don't fucking watch them. Yeah, and it's like I want to ask like how many people who are like <laughs> who rag on remakes like even watch the originals like are like are you just complaining or are you like actually a fan of the original like you know and and even if you are a fan of the original like it's like the original's still there so like who cares if it gets remade like I don't know <laughs> I, I I find it. it, it this is my like just personal theory that if the person is saying it's all remakes and sequels, they either don't watch the original or it's been like 20 years since they've seen the original and they don't really remember it that well. And they're just an angry old person. Yes. And then if it's somebody saying uh, like they've ruined the franchise or this is like disrespectful, blah, blah, blah. They've seen the original more times than they could probably fucking count. And it's like, you need to move on, dude. Like, you still have, like, I can still, like, throw on the original, was it 1978 Halloween? Yeah, exactly. Like, whenever the hell I want to. Like, no, The originals are all still there. Like, yeah. yes, like, as a, as, like, a fan, like, I didn't love the retconning things, but I understand why they did it. And I'm also kind of just like, okay, I can, I'm going to accept that, and I'm going to move forward, and, like... And I'm either going to vibe with this new movie or I'm not. Here's my hot take. Continuity is overrated. When yeah, people no, start, you like, know what? We talked about this last week. I, I was saying that retconning is – yeah, yeah, I think we did because I was saying, like, retconning is, like, kind of lazy writing and, like, you know <laughs> – and then, like, yeah, and then you were saying, like, continuity is overrated anyway. Or it's not like real. That. It's not. Yeah. None of this shit is fucking real. And if, like, a creator has, like, oh, I got a really good idea for this for this new entry, but I've got to change something about how it was presented before to make it work. I'm like, I know. gives a shit. I, like, I do not care in the size of it. Now, I'm a big superhero comic book fan. So rewriting continuity is just like par for the course in, right. in superhero comics. Well, because with that, it's and I and I kind of feel like that's what's happening to a lot of like um, a lot of the horror stuff that we grow up with is it's uh, you yeah. know it's it's new creators getting an opportunity to do something with these properties. And honestly, like as as a fan of these properties, even if I'm not gonna vibe with every new movie, like. Dude, I'm fucking happy that, like, the stuff that I grew up with was, like, deemed important enough to still, like, be, like, explored in, in like, subsequent de- generations. Like, I think that's fucking cool. And, and as you've already, already alluded to, like, all these things are going to be somebody's first entry into... Yep. into these franchises and into these genres like there's there's some like like 12 year old out there who in this past week saw their first real horror movie for the first time and it was yep. Halloween Kills and it blew their fucking mind exactly. and they couldn't sleep that night and they couldn't believe the shit they saw on screen and it's easy for especially a lot of people as they get older and they gotta be you know like like cooler than now I was around for the original 
And it's like, okay, cool, but that little kid wasn't. like. Yeah. And it's cool that they're getting to experience some of the magic you did. And they be, they could go watch the original movie. Like, I'm sorry, a movie from the 1978 is not going to speak to like a preteen now the same way as a modern movie is going to. Our right. media language, our media diet has changed so much. Like, sorry, things are dated in the original Halloween. Yeah deal with it <laughs> yeah and it's no i get it like i was um you know i i uh i i uh i occasionally take my uh my kid to an arcade and there's like you know like he loves playing like this like somewhat new like jurassic park game you know and and it's great it's great it's wait a is it the game. one with like the guns yes yeah, in oh the my car God, that, game's, yeah. that game's fucking awesome it's a great great game it's a great yeah game. that game's so um, cool is there a but, kid uh, that has it? And my partner and I love playing it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then we tried a, a different arcade uh, recently, um, you know, that has more, like, vintage games, you know, like stuff that you and I would have, you know, grown up playing. And, like, he just wasn't vibing with, with it, you know? And, and I it's guess just it. like, of course he's not. He's, he's, he's five, and he, like, has already been exposed to, like, modern media. So it's just yeah. different. Now, he might later, like you know, develop an interest in it because like, exactly. Oh, the same you, know, way that you, um, you were talking that like you were watching some of the classic universal horror films this past week, yeah. which is yeah. like, you know, stuff that existed from, you know, our grandparents era. <laughs> I'm pretty sure everybody who worked on all these movies is dead. I'm, I think that's a very safe bet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, yeah but no. like, I, I really wouldn't, uh, like, if, if I want to get, especially, like, a preteen, like, like I'd show, like, you know, like, a five-year-old the original Universal Horror films. Like, oh, yeah. I think, and there were also short movies, so, the like, I think. Movies. I saw them, I mean, like, um, yeah, when I was younger, a lot younger. Let's say, let's say a 12 or 14-year-old, and they're interested in getting into horror movies. Are you going to show them the original Dracula, or are you going to show them Halloween Kills? I'm going to show them Halloween Kills. Like, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, later if they develop, like, that kind of historical interest in the genre or, like, and they just, you know, or just, like, even, like, a fandom where you're, like, I want to see everything, you know, and mm -hmm. I don't know, like, and that, that happens from a movie like Halloween Kills, like it happened for the first, Hall from the first Halloween, you know, like, I mean, for me, what was your first horror movie, do you remember? Oh, oh, well, I know my first R-rated horror movie was Misery. Wow. Okay. So mine was also a Stephen King movie. It was uh, it was Silver Bullet. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, I love Man, it. Man, Misery scared. I probably would have been around, probably around twelve, maybe ten, something somewhere between ten and twelve. Scared the shit out of me. Kathy yeah. Bates horrified me. I can totally <laughs> see that. When I was a little kid. I was my first R-rated. I couldn't remember my first like horror movie though. Like I, I literally grew up watching. My both my parents uh, are slash were my, my mom's alive, but my dad's dead. Uh, both of them are were like horror fanatics when I was growing up. Cool. So I couldn't I couldn't even tell you what my first what my first was. Yeah. I just know my first R-rated one because I was so excited to watch an R-rated film for the first yeah. time. And, you know, remember, we didn't have the internet, so I couldn't get around my parents to see that R-rated movie. Um, 
right. but it, it was it was misery. That's cool. Yeah, um, yeah. I saw Silver Bullet, and then I saw like yeah, I saw like all the Universal monster movies and the original Night of the Living Dead. Like I got. I got a bunch of the Universal movies on VHS for like my eighth or ninth birthday, and also age for that. And also the original Night of the Living Dead, and it was just like, I almost thirty years later, still probably the best birthday ever. I, I'm not sure though if I'd recommend the original Night of the Living Dead for that young. I mean, like people forget that that movie's actually really intense and grisly. It's, really intense and grisly um that was part of what i liked about it like i was like really like but it was like definitely i could even even at that age like i could tell it was a cut like i don't know like a level up i guess (laughs) that ending that i remember the first time the very first time i saw uh night of the living dead uh that ending had me sitting in shock yeah. And uh, my mom actually used to, uh, when I was younger, used to every year get me a Halloween present, which is she'd buy me a horror movie every cool. Halloween. And one of them, one year was the original Night of the Living Dead. And I had never seen it before. And she's like, oh, I'm going to watch it with you. And that ending happened. And I was just like, I I almost I don't want to give away the ending even though it's so old but amazing it's like one of the best twist endings ever in horror and it's not widely known in pop culture like yeah, that's everyone true. goes into Psycho knowing how Psycho ends but if you haven't seen the original Is Night of the Living Dead it, yeah yeah you're right you probably do don't know how the original Night of the Living Dead ends and holy shit is its ending fucking nuts it and really is it blew my mind. I remember my mom sitting there smiling at me and be like, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> there are a few uh, really crazy turns in that movie. Like, it seems oh, yeah. silly now, but the um, the opening scene where, like, she, like, goes up to apologize to the first zombie, and it's, like, a zombie. Like, you know, like, yeah. she doesn't think it's a zombie. Like, that, like, yeah, that, like, And one I of the characters know. were introduced to in the beginning, almost as if he's going to be the main character, dies in the opening scene. Yeah. Yep. And the uh, the couple that gets blown up in the car, like, oh yeah. If they honestly, like, in in a movie that was made a generation before, or maybe even like a few years before, like, they would have been the ones who made it out at yes. the end. Like, they were like your classic nineteen fifties couple, uh, hero couple. Yeah. Yeah. And instead, they get blown up and literally torn to pieces, and we see it on screen. Yeah. Which is awesome. I uh, I actually uh, saw uh, before like the world shut down um, in 2019, Halloween season 2019, uh, yeah. when the movie theaters in Portland uh, uh, did a, a different revival horror movie. Uh, actually, they did two revival horror movies every week. And one of the weeks they showed um, the original Night of the Living Dead. And my partner and I went to go see it. And... Uh, so it has like that big gore scene after the couple gets blown up and it's a rather long grisly gore scene and the uh the disc that they were playing like something screwed up with it and so they had to stop the the whole gore scene happened and then the movie's moving on and they had to stop it 
and then when they restarted it up, it was right at the beginning of the gore scene. So everyone got to watch the gore scene twice on the big screen. And I, I remember that. saying to my partner, like, you know what? I'm not at all upset about this. Like, we get to, <laughs> we get to watch the gore scene twice on the big screen. This is, like, serendipitous here. Yes. Oh, man. All right, so how do we how do we tie this into... Uh, we've we've to, moved, like, said. way beyond... Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, I got one note of something I want to talk about. Yeah, let's do it. I had it on my list I want to talk about. So the party scene in the movie. And I've been really big on, uh, as we've been doing these movies, of like looking up the bands that are in these movies. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that band that's playing of, um, oh, was it This Is The Last Song I Will Ever Write? I'm going to kill myself tonight. Like... Really happy song with really fucked up lyrics. Yes. <laughs> the name of that band? What Brace Yourself. Okay. Rape Door. Oh, boy. <laughs> I had actually looked up that band long before we'd ever uh, started doing this show. And their, their music's pretty good. They, they got, like, this uh, uh, really sleazy rock and roll band. You're saying... And, uh, Dorm, like D-O-R-M? No, Rape Door, D-O-O-R. Like a door you open, okay. Yes, Rape Door. I don't know what that band name means, but I'm made vaguely uncomfortable by it. Vaguely? (laughs) That's awesome. Like, uh, their their album's names are The Stonedest, you know, as in getting stoned. Getting the most stoned, yes. Yes. Their most recent album is called The Titties Set. Um, wow. so this, classy uh, fellas, classy fellas. <laughs> um, and then they have, uh, everybody needs Leslie Nielsen, which is where the song, uh, last song comes from, uh, which is the, uh, the album art is the, uh, female lead singer on a, uh, toilet with her panties pulled down and stretched out wearing a gas, ma- like an apocalyptic gas mask. Holy shit. They, uh, they actually, uh, Lake Kaufman actually found them that they contacted him on Twitter and they were like, we love you. We'd love you to use our music in one of your movies. And he invited them to be in the movie and they came and they spent two days, uh, crashing with the cast and crew and did the, uh, party scene. Uh, awesome. Yeah. Oh, which I didn't even bring up uh, where the cast and crew stayed while they filmed this movie. Lloyd's house. No. An abandoned mortuary. Oh, my God. Uh, That's 100% true. They stayed in an abandoned funeral home slash mortuary, complete with a no longer functional crematorium in the building. Oh, my God. That is great. I love that. While they filmed at an abandoned school which is still to this day abandoned. Um, all of this was in uh, Niagara, Niagara Falls, New York. Um, we see the Niagara Falls in this movie. We do? Yes. Uh, remember uh, the Cretans are tormenting people at a park with a waterfall right next to them? Oh, yeah. yeah, that's, yeah, Niagara, yeah. that's Niagara Falls. Do they, don't they throw a baby down the waterfall? Am I remembering that correctly? Wasn't it a dog? A dog, that's right. They throw a dog. Yeah, that's right. I was like, I was, I was, yeah, because I, I remember thinking like, ooh, that's, that's, that's a, that's a way to alienate your audience. 
<laughs> yeah, you know, like, all right, so we're going to... People we'll, really, really get touchy about... Oh, my God, do they ever. Do they ever. Dogs. We'll probably talk about this when we eventually cover uh, the first Toxic Avenger. Uh, oh, but, fuck, yes. <laughs> yeah. That, uh, Link Hoffman's been open that he's never received hate mail for killing the kid on camera, but they received more hate mail than they can count over shooting the dog. Yeah, um, sounds about right. And the thing is, like, I, I work with animals. I work with pets. I've referenced that already on this show. Like, I, I love animals. I love pets. I have, I've had multiple pets over my entire life. I have three kitties I adore deeply right now. But I'm like, it's not real. It's not real, people. Like, Do you think, um, you know, him being a vegetarian, like, he might include animal death in his movies? Um because that's what unsettles him. I think he just includes it just to have another button to push with people. I really <laughs> think that's it. Because there's no denying that Lloyd Kaufman goes out of his way to piss off any potential viewer he has. He wants, and, he's, yeah. He's, and the thing is, like, we like having our buttons pushed. And there's a lot of people that really do not. I personally don't fully understand it because I like my art and entertainment to generate a reaction from me. Mm-hmm. And even if that reaction is disgust or being disturbed or like being like a little offended at what I see on screen, I'm like, well, that means it was successful. That means it actually yeah. worked. No, there've been uh, some of my favorite movies, like, um, and, and please don't ask me for examples just cause I can't really, I can't think of any right now, but like, I, I, I distinctly remember moments where like, or, or movies where I would just be like, that was that was probably one of the best movies I've ever seen, but I don't ever want to see that again. Like, Oh, I just have one. Actually, problem. Cannibal Holocaust is probably oh, one of them. I love, I love Cannibal Holocaust. I do too. I have only seen it twice. <laughs> it's a great, great movie. Um, one that was popping in my head that I've seen like two or three times, but it's like such a hard sell for people. Uh, Trent Haga's uh, Dead Girl. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That movie's fucking rough. Yeah, it is. Um, and that movie I've seen has, like, really offended and really pissed people off. I think it's excellent, though. I really like, I really like that girl. Um, um, but, yeah, I think, I think Luke Hoffman was just trying to piss people off. Like, one more thing, kill. Like, what, what does this movie need? This movie needs animal death. Yeah. Now, since we're speaking of animals, we cannot do this episode and not talk about the duck. You're right. You're right. I asked earlier if uh, duck dancing was a um, euphemism for something. Uh, so the main character in this movie has a pet duck. Uh-huh. Which I have some really fun trivia about the pet duck that they have. Um, it is the only time in Troma's film history that they've used crowdfunding. And they specifically use crowdfunding to hire to hire a trained duck. They use Kickstarter to hire Kevin the Duck, which is a official trained animal actor. And I they had to that. get a handler on set. And there was actually multiple ducks because ducks are social creatures. So Kevin the Duck actually had, no joke, a duck entourage. And oh, my God. Lloyd Kaufman 
was adamant that they had to have a duck in the movie because ducks are one of the funniest animals, according to Lloyd Kaufman. He got I was on the on the commentary. He gets really hung up on how the movie needed a duck and it had to be a real duck. And ducks are inherently funny. And I'm like, I, I, all that's not true. wrong. He's not wrong on any of that. And Michael Hertz refused to use uh, money from their budget to pay for um, getting a trained duck. So, Lloyd Kaufman had to do a Kickstarter to fund... They had to get money from an outside source. Could you imagine... Can you imagine the arguments in the trauma office? I was going to say, imagine being a fly on that wall. Like, like, (laughs) like, uh, like, Lloyd, you can have... You can have... (laughs) You can have the fucking penis monsters. All the penis monsters you want. But no, we're not putting a duck in your movie. I, or if we are, I'm not paying for it. Like. Yes, yes, that's exactly <laughs> what happened. So, so they had the, yeah. And Kevin the Duck was the name of the actor, Duck. Um, I'm not sure if they call him Kevin in the movie. Um, I don't recall. I want to say yes. I, I want to, I think that is the name of the Duck in the movie. Yeah. Um, but... That to me, that just like fucking tickled me, and I just imagined Michael Hertz and Lloyd Kaufman getting into a screaming argument in the trauma offices over. <laughs> I'm not paying for you to have a goddamn duck in your movie. Fine, no. I'll do it myself. I'll kickstart. The fans know. The fans will give me a duck, and they and did. They did. <laughs> they did, and it's the only time that trauma has ever used crowdfunding for a movie. Um. And then bringing up the duck kind of like gets to, gets us towards uh, uh, the um, towards the end of this movie where the plot actually becomes like relevant, and which we should touch upon for us, you know, in prep for next week's episode. Uh, so we this movie follows like this. We've barely talked about the plot line of this movie at all. Yeah. Uh, so. Uh, the movie follows this uh, high school lesbian couple that both get in, in, like, infected with nuclear waste. I guess that's what you'd I don't know. Whatever. They get exposed to nuclear waste problems through their food, and they begin to mutate. And, oh, help me remember, do they both get pregnant? Or is it just one of them that uh, gets pregnant? I think pregnant? it's just the one. I think it's, it's just, just one. The one. Get, yeah. The, the other one... Oh god, I'm trying to remember. The other one grows a penis. Grows a penis. The a very, a, penis. a very large, gigantic penis. Yes, gigantic. And um, so they begin mutating, and we have like the showdown with the Cretans. So this actually isn't the end of the movie. So this would kind of be the first act, second act confrontation with the villains. Mm-hmm. We, like we don't get closure. That happens in the next movie. Um, they get the Cretans, but where this, like, the cliffhanger this ends on is the girl that's pregnant that's obviously, uh, you know, a lesbian couple. They shouldn't be able to get pregnant, but one of them has. And then the movie ends with her taking a shower in the school and uh, her quote-unquote water breaks. That We yeah. see blood and green goo oozing down her legs. Nice little um, nod to, uh, to Carrie. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Very obviously a shout out to uh, to Carrie. Yeah. And um and that's then there's a hard end of to be continued. Um, yeah. So I did kind of sum up the plot right there because this I mean, isn't a very 
plot-heavy movie, and it's like it'll be interesting talking next week because I feel most of the plot is in the second part of the movie. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Now, um, one thing I did find fascinating in my research, and I can't find any fucking details on it, is that they were originally going to try to make a uh, class of Newcomb High Part 4 in the mid-90s under the title Battle of the Bikini Subhumanoids. I've definitely heard about this. But they, it was, Tromo was apparently I, even promoting it at, at some points. Yeah, like, when I say I've heard about this, like, I heard about it, like, in my initial trauma fandom phase like i mean like when i first was like discovered them and was looking them up on the internet and stuff but like they were working on it into the early 2000s and they were promoting it as like an upcoming movie into the early 2000s so this totally lines up with exactly what you're this time period exactly lines up with what you're remembering yeah yeah I don't remember any details or anything, but... And this uh, did begin, uh, uh, like, the movie we actually get, the Return to Newcomb High, what we actually get to see, did begin life as a quasi-remake of the original Class of Newcomb High, and then they also, you know, turned it into a sequel, which they kind of were before uh, everyone else in doing that, because that's now the the thing is yeah. you do a quasi remake and market it as a sequel, but it's still like a new jumping on uh, point. Like we've seen this with Halloween. We've seen this with star Wars. Um, at least I'm assuming I've never seen actually the new star Wars mm-hmm. movies, so I can't speak for them. Um, it's uh, why am I like spacing right now? I know there's a whole bunch of other movies that well, there's, have, uh, they're doing it with, this with Scream, where it's a sequel, but it's yes. like, they're just calling it Scream, like, yes. like, as if it's a remake, I don't know, it's weird, because they're like, I don't know, like, I don't even know if there's a fucking word for it, like, but it's like, it's like, like, a lot of times, like, it'll just be like, yeah, like, it's, it's technically a sequel, but there's no number after it, and there's no subtitle, it's just, oh, they did it with the Child's Play franchise? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, um, oh. like, and I'm not talking about the Child's Play remake. I'm talking about yeah. the actual continuity of Child's Play because they did, um, was it the Curse of yeah. Chucky? Curse I believe, of Chucky is the one that kind of kickstarts. It's, it's pseudo a reboot, but it's also directly in continuity. But if you haven't seen any of the uh, the other movies, you can jump right on into that one, and you just uh, wouldn't understand the endings. The very, the very, very ending, you wouldn't get this. I think you'd still understand it. You just wouldn't get the significance. Like, you would know what happened. Right. It's just, if you've seen the other movies, there's, you know, a real big bonus uh, for oh, you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, there, there's other movies I'm sure of, and I can't believe I'm not able to think of more off the top of my head. But it's definitely been a thing that's been going on. And this movie predates that, Most whole, of it. Yeah. that whole wave. Yeah. Which we're now, like, in the middle of. That's what everything's doing right now is a uh, new sequel. Oh, fuck, they did it with uh, Final Destination. Yeah. I would even say, like, the Friday the 13th remake, like, didn't feel I, it. It I, felt I, like just I, another sequel. It did, even though it's kind of a remake of 1 through 4, but yeah. it's also kind of, 
like another sequel at the same time. Yeah. And yeah. I also make a little bit of an argument that the uh, original, I'm sorry, not the original, the um, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake that came out actually before this movie. And so did the Friday the 13th, actually. Those, yeah, okay, those, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Both those came out before this. Yeah. Uh, both of them, while they are remakes, they also kind of feel more like sequels. Yeah, definitely. So, like, so that was, like, an, an, uh, I, I just think interesting of, like, how it uh, fit into those movements over how to handle franchises, which, you know, we were talking about last week, and you know, now we're talking again about. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, uh, uh, I'm not sure if well I know you didn't see this because you watched uh, you watched this on Troma now but I watched the Blu-ray and guess whose logo pops up when you put in the Blu-ray? Um oh 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 I actually know this it's uh, uh, Anchor Bay right? Yes it is. Yeah. So, Anchor uh, Bay and Stars were the initial uh, uh, seed funding for this movie. Yeah. I think in the credits. I saw Anchor Bay. Like I think that's how it would have been in the credits, yeah. yeah oh, yeah, which yeah. by the way, they went they did boring credits for this movie. I know, I know. I was so I got so into the past bunch of movies that we've watched having these ridiculous credits and I was like, Oh, I don't remember what they do with the credits in this movie. Oh yeah, because they didn't do anything with the credits. Yeah. I was like, ah damn it, that was a missed opportunity right there. My favorite credits are are Tromeo and Juliet and Terra Firmer, like Especially because they're kind of sequels to each other. Or at least yeah. the, the end credits are. like <laughs> The end credits, oh my god, they're so fu- funny. Yeah. They're so fucking funny. I, I think I like Terra Firmers the best because they fire the credits guy and they get a new one. Yeah. And the new one starts doing the exact same thing. Which I, I just thought that was hilarious. That's so good. So good. Um, but yeah, Anchor Bay and S- Stars of all fucking... Uh, so Stars yeah. owns, owns Anchor Bay now. Oh, oh, that's right. We went through that when we talked about uh, the Mother's Day uh, remake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That explain that explains it. That's right. That's how Just that. Can- listen in the archives, everyone. <laughs> that's why Stars is appearing here. Yep. Okay, that all falls into place. Um, I'm trying to see here. What else? What else do I got? Well, I was hoping to have a lot more of behind-the-scenes stuff, and on my Blu-ray, I was really disappointed that the special features, they didn't have a full-length uh, making-of documentary. Oh, that's was a like, bummer. Because, yeah, I was like, that yeah. sucks, because I get so much information from those, and they're so entertaining to watch. And there was, like, some clips of uh, the casting auditions and behind-the-scenes of special effects, which I watched, and... Yeah, they were they were pretty cool and pretty interesting, but like like nothing to relate here. And then just today, just today, I thought, oh, I should take a look at the uh, Blu-ray for Return to Newcom High Volume Two. The full-length documentaries on that Blu-ray, oh, which man. makes sense because they were filmed at the same time. So if they put the documentary on the Volume One, it would have been spoiling scenes for Volume Two. Yeah. So that makes sense. I'm like, ah. So See, next, my theory was, next episode, I'm going to yeah. have that documentary as source material. So I may have a lot more behind-the-scenes information come the next episode. See, my theory was they were, they were going to try to work it into uh, Occupy Can. Oh, thank you for bringing it up. So yeah. I did get a lot more information about Occupy Con, Con, Can. I can keep on calling it Cons, but it's Can. 
can't. Um, I can't pronounce things worse shit. For, That's all right. Nah, I'm not going to bring up the whole thing that happened on Facebook. And, uh, the, <laughs> people trying to get offended on my behalf with somebody that's a mutual friend of us making a joke about me that I can't pronounce things. It's a running fucking joke amongst people who know me. It wasn't yeah. anything offensive. <laughs> but uh, uh, Occupy Can, um, they talk about it in the commentary as if it's finished. And I think it was actually finished. And they do say that the Occupy Can is about them taking Return to Newcomb High to to have an off-site screening at the Cannes Film Festival. And they all get permanently banned from Cannes, the Cannes Film Festival, for holding a lesbian wedding as a promotional stunt. Yeah, he talks about that in that. Diabolic interview. Yes. That was what got them kicked out of Cannes, like, permanently. And that's what the Occupy Cannes documentary was supposed to be about. And they talk about it in the past tense, the documentary itself, in the past tense, on the commentary, implying that it's done. And they keep saying about when it comes out. Obviously, this documentary's never came out. Yeah. And I'm so fascinated to see it i am too i think it would be quite an interesting watch as we've talked on previous episodes like that should be like a whole series of uh documentaries because like like just how being independent artist changes every couple years and the challenges you face changing every couple years yeah um, I'm trying to see here what else I have. Oh, this movie features Lemmy of Motorhead's final film role. Yeah, as uh, the president, correct? Yep. He's in Volume 1 and Volume 2 because they were filmed at the same time. It's his last acting role before his death. Yep. Um, all he requested for payment was a uh, bottle of whiskey. That sounds that sounds on brand. Yep. Because um, filming, for anyone that's uh, ever been part in a... Film production, you can relate to this. It's a lot of hurry up and wait. It's a lot of sitting around doing nothing. And Lemmy insisted that if he's going to sit around and do nothing, he wants to drink whiskey while he does it. Which, okay. (laughs) I relate. (laughs) And um, I think that's kind of exhausting a lot of the little fun things I have. I do have, continuing one thing that uh, we've... uh, uh, talked about a lot. I do have a review from the New York Times. Yeah, yeah, let's hear that. New York New York Times did review this movie. Um, April 25th, uh, 2019, by Glenn Kenny. Shout out Glenn Kenny. Um, uh, Return to Nuka... Uh, wait, fuck. I had the review pulled up for Return to Nuka High Volume 2. That's I was going to say, 2019, that's like six years after this movie came Shit. out. Shit! Um, wait, I'm pulling up right now the, uh, I'm pulling up right now the correct one. We'll, we'll get, to, we'll save that review for, uh, uh, next week. Next week, yeah. But, according, uh, so, according to Lloyd, uh, Entertainment Weekly also always, uh, gives, uh, pretty, uh, good reviews of trauma movies. I didn't look at that review. I've kind of now just been, like, focusing on seeing what the New York Times says about these movies 
because it's kind of in, like when we first started recording this, we were like, oh, New York Times isn't going to take this shit seriously, or it's a bizarre news of reviewing New York Times. And now we're learning that New York Times like reviewed almost like every trauma movie, which yeah. like that That's was an assumption great. that we were wrong. We were way wrong. wrong yeah. About. Um, okay, here we go. I'm sorry. From January 9th, 2014, by Jeanette. Wow. I'm talking about how I can't pronounce stuff. Katsules? I don't wow. know. I don't know how to pronounce this name. Uh, C-A-T-S-O-U-L-I-S. I don't think I can pronounce that either. Uh, I'm sorry, Jeanette. Katsules? I'm going to call you Katsules. Because um, <laughs> I like the kitties. Um, oh, yeah. So her review is titled An Unpleasant Surprise on Taco Tuesday. That's awesome. Which is a fantastic title for a review. That's great. This is pretty short. It's just three paragraphs long. So here's the review. Fantasy breasts, radioactive goo, rampaging penises, epidemic flatulence, and embarrassing genital, genital conditions. Where else could you be but in Tromaville High School? Almost 30 years after a nuclear plant malfunction drove the plot of Class of Newcomb High, one of the film's writers and directors, Lloyd Kaufman, has returned the pilot the fourth entry in the franchise, Return to Newcomb High, Volume 1. His fans will be delighted to learn that time has eroded neither his love of nudity nor his disdain for political correctness. <laughs> Updating his material with satirical nods to current high school hot topics, bullying, mass shootings, the dubious quality of cafeteria fare, Mr. Kaufman transforms the site of the old power plant into an organic farm that's testing its produce on the Chomaville students. But when a um, but when a blogger becomes suspicious, tipped off by the human ear lurking in an entree on Taco Tuesday, the glee club morphs into a gang of rampaging punks. The plot is primed for B-movie pandemonium. Powered by rimbald bursts of bad taste and bodily fluids, return cribs good humorly from David Cronenberg shivers and Brian De Palmer's carry before ending on a cliffhanger. Unflagging and unfazed, the cast, including a much-abused duck and Motherhead's Lemmy as the nation's president, gamely chomps on a screenplay on a screenplay grounded in grotesque mutations and bloody ejaculate. The overall effect, however, is less disgusting, less disgusting than joyous. Mr. Kaufman's talents can be debated, but his love for his job is stamped on every garish, oozy frame. That's great. That's uh, a great review. That's a I kind of feel like great review. Troma should hire her for like <laughs> to write the uh, the the plot descriptions. That should that could just be on the back of the fucking Blu-ray right there or on yeah. their website. Like Dude, that's, that's incredible. That person totally gets it. Like even like fucking citing shivers and Carrie. Yep. Yep. Like they totally get like yeah, this is highbrow and this is lowbrow at the exact same time. Yeah. Absolutely. I you know, I missed the shivers reference. Um uh, sh Shivers is uh, uh, that's Cronenberg's first like yeah that's the one with the uh, parasite in the building yeah, going yeah. about also uh, also called they come from within yep yeah that's that one I think that's just about like the uh, the the sexual 
Just the general. Okay. Process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it wasn't um, a particular. If there, was a du- if there was a direct reference to it, I also missed it. Okay. I think the reviewer was just called the mind over like the disgusting aspect of sexuality and weird body and stuff. Both yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or or there was a direct shout out to Shivers, and it went over both of our heads, and we both missed it. One yeah. of the two. Hey, anyone listening to it sees a direct Shivers reference, let us know, and we'll follow up on this. Hell yeah. Um, all right, do you, uh, do you have anything, any, any other tidbits, or? That's kind of everything I've got for this one. Like I said, I'll probably have more behind the scenes. We might stay a bit more focused next week, because also next week we're going to have the full story put together that we can then talk about how this works, splitting them into two. Because, yeah. like, right now, we've only watched half a movie. And, like, it is it is very much just half a movie. And yeah. Yeah. For good or bad, it is just... Because I saw this when it first came out, and it was fucking brutal waiting for the sequel, which uh, the sequel didn't come out until... Um, Four years later. Uh, well, that's when it started film festival screenings. Like, oh, I don't shit. think I saw it, saw it till 2019. Oh, yeah, that man. sounds that sounds right to me. Um, yeah, I, it didn't get released until the end of 2019, and that sounds right to me when I finally got to see it. So that was like six years in like waiting to be able to see it. Because oh, I know they did a screening in Portland, but I think I was actually out of town for a horror convention and that's why I didn't go to the screen. I'm pretty sure I was out of town uh, and that's why I missed when they did its Portland screening. Um, gotcha. The other I was just way too broke at the time, which has also, uh, yeah. I've been very broke I, at some points in my life. <laughs> I, I, I relate. <laughs> um, all right, so so I, I am going to assume, uh, but I will ask anyway, uh, do you rec- recommend this movie? Oh, that's tough. Um, that's actually tough. Um, yeah. Do I recommend it on its own? Not really. Do I recommend this if you can do a double feature with the sequel? Wholeheartedly, yes. Which we'll be digging yeah. into. Which we'll be digging into next week. Yep, yeah, that was going to be my answer as well. Um, I would say, like, you know, make sure you can watch both both movies back to back, which you can on Troma now, um, or you could buy the Blu-rays. Um, and, uh, yeah, like, I think, um, I mean, I'm saying watch it together, even though I haven't seen the second one, but I'm, I'm just like, even though I enjoyed it, I'm like, I was like, oh no, I just watched half a movie. I want to watch more, you know? So I, <laughs> well, um, be your assignment then for next week is uh, you've got to watch the other half of this. Yeah. Watch the other half of this. And, uh. Yeah, tune in for, for next week. We probably will not go on a tangent about horror franchises again because we, we, we probably have a lot more to cover since... Uh, Actually, we probably will because then we're going to be concluding this franchise and most likely yeah. it's the yeah, end probably, of this franchise. Yeah. Expect to find out what uh, what Jeff and, and I uh, uh, call consider our uh, favorite uh, final entries. In a- <laughs> yeah, that's probably what's going to happen. That's going to be the... It's for sure it's going to be the tangent we're going to go on next week. 100%. 100%. All right. Um, cool, man. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, so that's the thing. It's hard for me to recommend it without seeing the second one, basically, is what I'm saying. So, so consider, consider this episode 
just as this movie ends, this episode, to be continued. Yes, yes. Um, so that's what we're doing next week. Uh, do you have anything you plug? Uh, sort of. Um, I was trying to think of this in advance, because I always try to think in advance, like, so what do I want to uh, endorse or encourage or whatever it is each week? And, and for this week, um, in, in light of... Uh, uh, there's there's somebody on social media that uh, drives me up the wall, and I kept them on my social media just because I occasionally got pieces of information from them that I wanted to know, but they blocked me this week. And you know what? It felt really good not seeing their inane nonsense in my feed. And so I'm like, we all have those people we don't like on social media, so what I am going to plug this week is go block them. Go unfriend them. Go unfollow them. You don't need that negativity in your life. Be good to yourself. Get, get rid of those assholes. So that's what I'm going to endorse this week. <laughs> that is awesome. I love that. <laughs> um, Lucas, what do you have to plug? Well, I feel... I feel like, going right now. Oh, my God, dude. It's just nonstop, man. Um, yeah, got a lot going on. Yeah, um, I'm torn whether if I want to plug the, the, the short story that came out uh, this week. It'll be last week as, as, as y'all are hearing this. Um, or if I want to plug the thing that's up for pre-order. <laughs> well, we already heard Lucas has out a new story, and that also has a thing up for pre-order. <laughs> I know, well I tell know. Him the names of both. Okay, um, so... I'm going to plug the, the pre-order one because I want... Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, okay, so I've got this book called uh, Rusted Blood um, up for pre-order. It is the first in a series of, like, weird internet uh, haunted technology kind of books. Um, if you like... Uh, if, if, if you're someone who's, you know, listens to the show and have read my book, Gods of the Dark Web, I think you will find a lot to love in in uh in this book, um, but I'll I'll just read the 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 back cover thing. What's the name uh, of it? Did I... uh, Rusted blood. Rusted blood. Yeah, um, I'm gonna read the I'll just read the back cover description real quick. Um, okay, so uh, Cube meets rats: A night of terror in this survival horror thriller. <laughs> Six people wake to find themselves in a disused ice cream parlor in an abandoned. In the middle of an abandoned amusement park, they don't know why they were brought here, but they soon find they're not alone. Hungry rats, seemingly controlled by strange music, and hooded figures with superhuman strength lurk around every corner. With a handful of clues and tools, the captives must band together and fight for survival, but the park is not what it seems, and neither are they. Rusted Blood is two-time Splatterpunk Award nominee Lucas Mangum, that's me, uh, most... Yeah, most thrilling and bizarre book to date, and it kicks off his brand new Digital Darkness series, a cycle of supernatural technological horror stories. Nice. Yeah. That's a, that's a good back cover description. Yeah, you know, uh, you know what I used as a blueprint when I wrote that. Oh, did you write? Did you write that one? I did. I did. Oh, that's good. That's good. I, I used um, zombies and shit. Uh, oh, yeah. That's like my blueprint. I was like, because like I, I really like the way that back cover blurb is uh zombies and shit written by our very good friend carl tamelik the third yes yes um which i had a hand in did you 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 read 
You've actually read that book and not just the back cover description, right? I, I, I have not read that book. It gets oh. recommended to me regularly, but I've it's I have great. Not, it's yeah. It's fucking great. Cool, cool. And that I was... even I even helped Carlton with uh, parts of the plot. Oh, and that's awesome. There's for anyone that has uh, read the book, or if you haven't read it, I won't spoil it. But a lawn gnome features very prominently in the book, and. <laughs> The lawn gnome is 100% my idea. Carlton was, uh, all the characters get distinct weapons, and Carlton was struggling to uh, come up with, like, all the unique weapons. And was that a tip of the hat to uh, Brain Dead? No, no, it, it was not, even though it sounds like it. it. I did not think of Brain Dead, but I pitched Lawn Gnome, and Carlton was like, what? I'm like, exactly. I just had this image in my head of a character sitting at a table, like, and on front of them in the desk, they, uh, like, they unpack their backpack because it's, you know, play off of Battle Royale where everyone gets backpacks and has yeah. unique weapons in it. And finding out their unique weapon is a Lawn Gnome, and somebody just sitting there being like, what the fuck do I do with this? And nice. there is something that gets done with the Lawn Gnome, then you'll see if you if you read it why it's not a hat tip to um, Dead Alive and it is something completely different. <laughs> but I was very proud and Carlton uh, uh, wrote it into his book and my copy of Zombies and Shit. Carlton actually drew and he signed it for me and he drew a lawn gnome uh, on the title page and he's oh, like for wonderful. the he's like for the guy that came up with this. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So. Um... You, yeah, you can get Rusted Blood and Zombies and Shit on Amazon or wherever you buy books. I don't know. And go block that asshole that annoys you. Yeah, definitely block the asshole that annoys you. I can't recommend that enough. <laughs> you, may, you may find yourself blocking many assholes that annoy you <laughs> over the All course right. of the day. Uh, we're on social media. You know how to find us. Yep, and we will see you all next week. To be continued! Ha, ha, ha.